Well, I don't know if Anne Marie approached you last week like she did Deborah and I, knowing Deborah and I were great runners and, <clears throat> and uh, came to brought to us those sheets to sign up and and I want to tell you what my wife said. Deborah said, "I'm going to run it, but I'm going to run it in my mind." How many of you want to join her camp this morning? You're going to run it in your mind. Well, take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of 1 Peter. This morning, I trust you've read 1 Peter and times past on your own. If you haven't, I would encourage you to do that. And you will discover in 1 Peter that he is writing to people that are scattered throughout Asia, Roman provinces there in Asia, who are suffering. They are finding it hard in being faithful to Jesus Christ and paying a price for being faithful to him. So what is Peter going to say? I want you to note with me this morning how he starts in chapter 1 particularly in verse 3 through verse 9, to encourage them with the reality of this great salvation that is theirs and the glory that is to come in light of that salvation. What better way for him to encourage them with what is theirs in the Lord Jesus Christ? And I want to read verses 3 through 9, some even make reference to it as a, just a beautiful doxology as it starts, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now follow along as I read these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Why? Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Peter goes on to say a great salvation to which the prophets of old even tried to figure out how this whole thing about a, a Messiah, a reigning Christ and a suffering Christ, how that fits together. A great salvation that even the holy angels of God prior to the cross of Christ and, and the full revelation of God that we have in the word of God trying to figure out how this all fits together. Well, we have it in the word of God and we have it in the work of Christ. Can you say amen to that this morning? Then in verses 13 through verse 16, you notice 
You probably have something in your Bible like the word therefore in verse 13. And so now what Peter does is he's going to tell us what is the single primary response. The main focus response of this great salvation of ours. And in one word, his focus in verses 13 through verse 16 is holiness. It's holiness. What is your and my as professing believers in the Lord Jesus Christ calling in this life? In one word, everybody say it with me. In one word, it is holiness. The will of God for your holiness. I want to ask you, did you take the Lord's Supper last Sunday? If you took the Lord's Supper and identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ, what is your... These verses are going to be for you. No matter how young you are or how old you are, if you are identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, these verses are written for you. Now, R.C. Sproul, in his classic book called uh, The Holiness of God, he makes the comment that today we don't talk about holiness a great deal. The Puritans did. They couldn't hardly talk about anything without talking about holiness. But perhaps we don't talk about it as much as as they tended to. And yet holiness is all over the scriptures. When you look at the word in its different form, you've got some about 700 references to holiness in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that when you were saved, now suddenly the Bible refers to you as a saint Some 60 times in the New Testament, the Christian is labeled a saint. The word saint has as its root the word holy. And then we read also in our Bible, at the same time, God's working in you. You know that, don't you? And the Apostle Paul says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That word sanctification at its root is the word holiness. And then when we look at these verses, 13 through verse 16 this morning, we'll notice at the end of the passage in verse 16, the end of the section, he's telling us, you will be holy. So from the scriptures in Christ, you are holy, you're being made holy, and you will be you will be holy. So what's involved with this holiness that he's talking about? What what are essentials? And that's what we have in verses 13 through verse 16. What what does it take? What's possible in living this call to, to holiness? Now, I want to admit to you that I think one of the problems is when we think about holiness, we think about then later, not now. Somebody has once said it's kind of like Social Security. We're not thinking about it till we're approaching 60. <laughs> but this scripture will tell us holiness is about now. For you. You're in Christ. It's for you now. Let me read the passage as a whole and give you the first basic essential that Peter drives home to us about this particular theme. Verse, thir- verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. 
Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to your former lusts lived in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your manner of life or behavior. Why? Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Back to verse 13, notice where he begins. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your mind, fix your thinking on a hope completely to be brought to you, completely on the grace to be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's driving home with us, and you see it right from the beginning of verse 13, Can I say it to you this morning in this way, if you're taking notes, that essential to holiness has everything to do with a prepared mind or a fixed mindset. In fact, at the beginning, at the middle of that verse, not the beginning, the middle of verse 13, the primary verb there is a call to be locked in in a manner of thinking. Holiness requires a certain way of thinking. And it wouldn't surprise any of us to say a holy behavior has got to begin with a holy mindset. Everything that relates to how we live relates to how we what? How we we think. So he begins by saying you've got to have your mind right. The scriptures say that so many places, doesn't it? You know Philippians 4.8 the things that we're to think upon, set our mind upon. Set your mind on things above, says the scriptures. But here he's saying, notice, he's saying, prepare your mind. Get ready. A right thinking for what's ahead demands some right thinking here. Holiness, one writer says, this is Zane Hodge, holiness requires a tough mindset that is prepared for action. Isn't that good? Holiness requires a tough mindset that is prepared for action. The King James, you probably know it, says, gird up the loins of your mind. Remember that? And it's the idea of that first century man would be wearing that typical type of a robe that would go long down toward his his feet. And if he was going to tackle a job or even enter into military, military duty, he would be called to what? Pull that bottom up and tuck it into that big belt that held that all together so that he wouldn't stumble over his own over his own clothes he's saying I want you to do that I want you to to gird up your mind get it ready for action think right notice also there's a second participle here that that conveys the idea of an ongoing action keep sober get your mind ready for action be sober Be sober-minded, because the Christian life is serious, is it not? And it requires right thinking in the midst of circumstances of life. Oh, how about an example of that? Turn over with me to chapter 5, if you would. Chapter 5, verse 8. But let's begin in verse 6. We love those verses, don't we? Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you at the proper time. I'm in 1 Peter 5, now verse 7. Casting all your cares upon him. Everybody say it with me. For he, praise God for that. Now look at verse 8. Be sober, or we could translate it. Same thing, be sober-minded. Why? Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So resist him. I want you to think properly, and I want you to notice that what he's doing back in chapter 1, verse 13, that he's connecting this preparation of mind, thinking right, he connects it to fixing of your hope on grace to be brought to you. And that grace to be brought to you, he's mentioned more than once already in what I read this morning. Uh, look at verse 4 of chapter 1. Remember? A imperishable reward, inheritance coming for you. And he says at the end of verse 4, that will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Then at the end of verse 5, a salvation ready to be revealed to you. At the end of verse 7, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. He's looking ahead to the consummation of your salvation. And he connects that then in verse 13 now, again, to be brought to you at the unveiling. It's the same word as that last book of the Bible that we're studying right now in the nine o'clock hour. It's the unveiling. It's when Jesus comes again. It's when you go to meet him. It's when the full revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and who he is and all that God has made known to us in our salvation. Marshall has reminded us of much of what we read in the revelation about John and, and the vision and the worship that's going on and the holiness of God is something you're going to see and experience one day. And he's telling these people, all right, don't lose sight of that. Don't forget for a moment, this is coming to an end, this present struggle. And there is a glory to follow. And the glory to follow is going to make this present struggle, along with the worthiness of Jesus Christ, worth it. So don't lose sight of that. Have your mind prepared for what is going on, even to be fixed right now of this particular hope. I love that idea of hope in the Bible. Study that on your own sometime. Just look up the word hope in its context in different places in the New Testament. You'll find that hope is referred to the reality of our faith in Romans 5. Colossians 1.27, Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, the apostle says that we have this hope of our salvation. Colossians 1.15 says, we have a hope laid up for you in heaven through the gospel. And you understand that then in the Bible, that hope in the Bible is not a maybe. It's an absolute concerning what God has in store for those that are his. So he says, beginning now, I want, I want you to think. I want you to think, right, I want you to think about what's ahead for you. 
paraphrase, when Jesus Christ is revealed, that is, when he comes, and his coming is the believer's hope of a future day. It's what the believer lives in light of, or for suffering saints, as is true here. And as we know, sometimes in this life, it's a day or time that we long for. So believers who seek holiness of life have their minds fixed on the imminent, 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 any minute possibility of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And please note, a fixed mindset is something different than a surrendered mind. The only thing that the believer's mind should be surrendered to is the scriptures. We need renewed minds in truth. And when we have renewed minds in truth, our attention is going to be on eternal things that have significance for everyone, particularly the reality of salvation that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm going to ask this morning, is, uh, I just got done reading through Ezekiel, and then I feel like when you get through Ezekiel, you get rewarded by reading in Daniel. How many feel that way? We love Daniel. Are we impressed by Daniel? Would we say Daniel might be someone we, we might tend to call holy? Could we go that far as to say it appears holiness of life with Daniel? Set, not setting you up here, throw, throw you a curve. Well, then take your Bible with me, and we're going to, oh, maybe spend an hour in Daniel. Okay? No, I just want you to notice one thing from Daniel that relates everything to do with 1 Peter 1.13 that calls for holiness of a fixed mindset. Daniel chapter 1. Thirteen forty-six in my Bible. So are you there? Now I, when I read the various people, it doesn't take very many to find those that are smarter than me, so many of them relate the fact that as young men, Daniel and his friends taken into captivity and chosen by the king, it is not a push to say we could be talking at the beginning of the book about young men who are teens. Young men, even teenagers. And selected apart, and you remember in chapter 1, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice, food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter into the king's personal service. Okay, there it is, his food and so forth. And down in verse 8, we read Daniel did something in verse 8, which led to his not eating the king's food. What does it say in verse 8? But Daniel made up his what? His mind. He knew what he was going to do based upon the fact that his mind was set toward what he understood about being right, what he understood about God, what he understood about God's law. So before we get into all of the life about Daniel and all the ways and choices that he made to not bow down and worship the false image all those choices that he made are based upon the fact that he had a holy mindset based upon what he determined to do 
that will be pleasing to the God of heaven. Holiness starts with our minds and our minds being determined that we're going to do what the Bible says, what is pleasing to him, and have our minds set on the reality back in 1 Peter 1.13 that there's going to be day when this is all made known to us, all revealed to us, and we will see how worthy it is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's why we will sing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. But that's not all, is it? You've got to have your mind right. You're going to live holy life. You're going to have to think holy. You're going to have to fill your scriptures, marinate your mind with the scriptures. But you're going to have to begin to also roll up your sleeves in verse 14. And here's the second aspect of personal holiness from Peter in these verses. Verse 14 is that holiness demands for us cutting ties with our past, cutting ties with our past. Verse 14, notice how he addresses them. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours. I would paraphrase that, lusts which you lived in your ignorance. <laughs> Holiness demands action now. Holiness does demand rolling up our sleeves, does it not? And here's the call to action. It demands a pattern of life that is a new life. Yesterday we heard it, this morning in the first hour we heard it, and again I'm going to remind you of 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, if any man be in Christ, he's what? New. And what else does it say? Old things have passed away. And Peter's saying, listen, you once lived a certain way that was centered upon, upon lust, that is the desire-driven life that was all about you and all about things and all about temporal stuff. And, and he says, that, that's got to be put away. The past life has to be put into the past. You can't live that way anymore. And we say, don't we, when we begin to think about holiness and we define holiness, we talk about to be separate, to be set apart. And Peter's saying, well, one of the first things you're going to do in being set apart is you're going to be set apart from a life that you once lived, gives you credit, in your ignorance, but you can't live that way anymore. Now there's this, there's this new life. Oh, the Bible makes this so clear to us in so many ways, and you know this, but I want to come to a very familiar passage that even points to the end of this in exactly what Peter is talking about. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. And beginning in verse, <clears throat> in verse 17, J.B. Phillips back in verse 14 of 1 Peter says it this way. Here's his paraphrase. Don't let your character be molded by the selfish desires of your ignorant days. <laughs> you didn't know better. Ephesians 4, 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their 
Three people, I really appreciate that. In the futility of their, there we are again. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, the desire-driven life, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you've been, if you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being continued, which was being continued, corrupted in accordance with the desires that were deceitful. Lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your, I want you to do better now. That you, that you be renewed in the spirit of, everybody say it, Mind. And you put on the new self, which is created in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and, here's our word, holiness of the truth. We could go to Colossians 3 and other passages, and you know that, know that this morning. But I wanted you to see that call of there has to be a break with the old self. Now I realize the old self tends to crop up into the new self from time to time. We understand that. But he's saying those old patterns of life, those old ways of thinking, those old ways of reacting, they've got to go. And you've got to put on the new. And verse 14, do not be conformed to your former lusts. You're automatically thinking, aren't you, about Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where you find the, this word, the other place in the scriptures. And you know Romans 12, 1, beseech you present your body a living what? Sacrifice to God. And then he says in verse 2, now to do the, you have to not be conformed to this, to this what? This cosmos, this way of thinking, this philosophy of life for living here and now and things. Be not conformed to this world, but you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ah, there it is. So he's pretty clear, isn't it? There's things that's got to go. Now, I love the beginning of verse 14. And we could almost stop there and I'm not coming close to doing so. But we could almost stop in verse 14 and say, you want to define holiness? Look at verse 14. As what kind of children? As obedient children. What does holiness in a life look like? Obedience to the word of God. That's not, that's not profound, is it? As obedient children. Here's a description of a child of God. Here's a description of a Christian. And person who is putting aside the old life is demonstrating they have a new one, most that is marked by a life that desires to obey and please God. And we had hammered into us yesterday, excellently, from the word of God. From Matthew 7 again, from Paul Washer, the truth in Matthew 7, you'll know them by their what? Fruit. Mm -hmm. By their fruits. But I love that. Obedience. You who, children of God, marked by obedience to God. There again, 2 Corinthians 5.17. R.C. Sproul goes on to say that his definition of holiness in one word is righteousness. 
that holiness in a life looks like righteousness. Turn with me to the book of Romans, and I want you to see how Paul says the very same thing as he is guided in writing Scripture by the Spirit. Romans chapter 6. Now in 3 through 5, we've got this, in particular in 5, being justified by faith. And, and in, in chapter 6, he's reminding us of the fact that we have a, a new master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't have to live under the authority of the old master and the old life. But look with me in chapter 6 how this is exactly what Peter is saying. It's amazing. Marshall points this out to us all the time. It's amazing how Scripture is consistent with other scripture. Amen? That's the word of God. Verse 17, Romans 6, 17. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and have been freed from sin and you became slaves. Now of righteousness, there it is, righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in holiness. That word sanctification, again, there's our word for holiness. I think R.C. is right, don't you? That if you're going to define holiness in a word, it has everything to do with what is righteous according to the word of God. And please note this morning, when we're talking about, back to our text, as obedient children, that holiness is not perfectionism, it's obedience. One of the very false views, and there are more false views about holiness than right ones, one of the false views of holiness is that we come to a place in our lives where we have little temptation and really no desire for sin or even the false view that we become sinless. And I want to tell you this morning in the love of Christ, if you have no desire away from God, you have no temptation away from God, you live a sinless life, I just want to tell you, somebody carry you out, you're dead. Because it's going to take that. And that person has not read Romans 7. We're not going there. But you know, what did Paul say? Wretched man that I am. Why? The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't. Wretched man that I am. Can you identify with that? Amen. But I, as I grow in my faith, I desire more of what is righteous and less of what is unrighteous because of the work that God is doing in my life of holiness. Are you cooperating with him? Are you cooperating with him? So holiness of life is about a new life, a new way of thinking, and a new way of life seen in obedience from a desire, isn't it? A desire to obey, a desire to please God. And then in verses 15 and verse 16, Peter now will ratchet it down for us. Are you ready? 
Basics, isn't it? Set your mind on these right things. Philippians 4, 8, whatever is good, pure, holy. Word of God, thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The mind, feasting, being transformed by the word of God, putting off the old man now, laying aside that old man, being conformed to those old desires which were yours in ignorance. Now in verses 15 and 16, he very clearly but very simply says this, holiness now has your focus one direction, and it's on God. It's on him. You say, well, that's not very profound. Wait a minute, you sure? Are you sure? Look at verse 15. But like the Holy One who called you, who's the Holy One who called you? That's God, right? But like the Holy One who called you, God himself Now you, and it's an emphatic personal here, the idea is you yourself. Somebody else can't make you holy. Going to certain school can't make you holy. (laughs) Right? You yourself, what? You be holy in all your manner of living. Then why? Verse 16, Peter backs it up with the scriptures. Because it's written... It is written. What is written? You're going to be holy, for I am holy. This command to now conform your life to holiness, listen carefully, is a command to conform your understanding, and your character to the character of God. That's it. That's what you're about. Holiness is about God. Tozer makes this statement. Tozer makes this excellent statement. He says this, holiness is not a list. Holiness is a likeness. Now, holiness involves things, no, and other things, yes, we get that. But the focus of your holiness is a likeness. We could parallel holiness with godliness, godlikeness. What is God like? Learn of him and what he's like, pursue that. You want to see it in living color? Look at who? Jesus Christ. When all else fails, understand this, holiness is Christ-likeness. Pursue his likeness. So we learned, we learned from, even from Dave Krombacher's great study on the, on the attributes of God, and others have said it well, that these perfections of God, these communicable attributes of God, when you, when you examine them and you put them all together, one writer says it's the very substance. Holiness is the sum and substance of all other virtues. Now think about that for a moment. Um, F.B. Meyer, others, one writer says this, uh, a guy from the, uh, from the 1600s. I'm, I'm reading that guy this week and, and I'm getting through about five pages to try to pick up one point. But, but he, he nailed it when he said, this is F.B. Meyer, he said this, the essence of our faith consists in the imitation of the one to whom we worship. 
F.B. Meyer, another writer, said the, the, the totality of, of our faith, that our faith it, it amounts to the totality of divine attributes seen in the Godhead. So let's just think about that for a moment. I, I want to ask you this morning, is God merciful? Present your body by the mercies of God. So be merciful, and you'll be holy. Is God loving? First John says, God is love. So if God is loving, be loving, and you'll be holy. Is God good? Nahum 1.7, Lord is good. Stronghold in the day of trouble. Working all things together in our lives unto what? The good, conform us more into the image of Christ. Pursue goodness toward others. And you're pursuing holiness. And on and on it goes in the character of God. And you put that all together. Here's their point. When you add those up, if I can say it this way, they lead us to the fact that God is holy, holy, holy. And in that, we are pursuing then ourselves holiness. And when all else fails, look at Christ. Look at his patience. Look at his kindness. Look at his mercy. Look at his love. Holiness. So think about it. When he says in verse 15, in all of your manner of life, all your behavior... We've got this little saying around here, don't we? Say it from time to time, but you know what it is. There are only on the pleasing or pleasing. I'm going to change it today. I'm preaching. I have the authority to do that. <laughs> there are two choices on the shelf. Choosing holiness or choosing self. Because if holiness is obedience, verse 14, and if obedience is pursuit of the character of God, verse 15, then every choice I make that I know is consistent with Christ and pleasing to the God of heaven and consistent with the word of God, I'm choosing holiness. Teenagers, you choose holiness, school, you know. We choose holiness, men, work. Wherever you are right now, choices that we make. If you're in Christ, those choices that you know are pleasing the God of heaven is a pursuit of holiness. And God is working in you and with you in accomplishing that. Now, just another, another uh, surprise for you, and that is that I know, it's true of you, but not of me, there are times that I've failed to choose holiness. It's a surprise when I tell you that personally this morning, isn't it? Amen? Okay. I, I know I could say that for you, but there are actually times I'm being facetious. Turn to Hebrews 12 because you are not, you're wondering, where, what, has he lost his mind? Partially, yes. Okay. But you and I both know we're still sinners saved by grace. How about I just say it that way? Amen? Okay, what about when we don't choose holiness? What about? 
Hebrews 12, 6. For, whom, for those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline him? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. Thank you, Lord, for that. I just want to say thank you, Lord, for that in my life. And we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share in what? His holiness. Even when you're rebelling and God is dealing with you, he is producing holiness in your life. Be holy. Back to our text. Holiness is your personal quest in this life and where God is taking you. And verse 16, then Peter quotes from the book on holiness, Leviticus, does he not? And you could just about pick anywhere in Leviticus for this particular quote because everything about worship defined in Leviticus was to be holy, to point to the people that everything about God is that he is holy and to remind them that everything as his called people, they were to be marked by holiness, distinct by holiness. I love the statement, holiness is about getting you ready for heaven. Kevin DeYoung has a quote that I... I'm going to take us to two passages first, just to remind you how, how the Bible is just constantly driving this theme. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his flesh and body through death in order to present you before him. How? There it is again, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's where he's working in your life. How about the way it says it in 1 Thessalonians? Now may our Lord, may our God and Father himself and Jesus Christ our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you so that you may, so that you may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Kevin DeYoung's little book on A Hole in Our Holiness writes this. I know it's small print, so I'll read it for you, okay? God bless the people who sit in front who are able to read the quotes. Because God's new world is free from every stain or hint of sin, it's hard to imagine how we can enjoy heaven without holiness. As J.C. Ryle re reminds us, heaven is a holy place. The Lord of heaven is a holy God. The angels are holy creatures. The inhabitants are all holy saints. Holiness is written on everything in heaven, and nothing unholy can enter into this heaven. Even if you could enter heaven without holiness, what would you do? What joy would you feel there 
What holy man or woman of God would you sit down and fellowship? Their pleasures would not be your pleasures. Their character is not your character. What they love, you do not love if you dislike a holy God. Now, why would you want to be with him then forever? If worship does not capture your attention at present, what makes you think it will thrill you in some heavenly future? If ungodliness is your delight here on earth, what will please you in heaven where all is clean and pure? You'll not be happy there if you're not pursuing holiness here. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 2 where Peter defines one of the purpose in our holiness and all else that he says in these verses of 13 through verse 16. But look in chapter 2, uh, verse, verse 9. But you are a chosen race. Now he's talking to the church here. Not talking to Israel here. He's quoting a little bit, but he's talking to the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Holy nation, holy people so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What's the deal about holiness? That word, proclaim his excellencies, it's a beautiful word that expresses something so unique and superior of quality that it has your full attention. There's been some beautiful red sunrises this week. I'm coming over here to the office and on one particular day. I don't remember the day, but it was so panoramic and it was so bold. I mean, I almost ran off the road. He's saying in this verse, your life is to be, and my life, so marked by a love for the things of God and a pursuit of holiness that people will be watching a life that has their attention. And the attention that it is to give is a life that's been changed through the gospel by what Christ has done on the cross and believing upon him for your forgiveness and turning from yourself to Christ for the hope of eternity. Be ye holy, for you will be holy. Yeah, fix mind. Yes, fix mind. Off of the past, on with the new. Character, God in Christ, pursued Every choice to do so is choosing holiness for his glory, not ours. Will you say amen to that? Let's pray together. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for the work of your spirit working in our hearts according to our need as we hear from you.
through your word. And do in your church that which you desire to magnify your glory, your holiness. Let our light so shine that men might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And thank you that you've given us all the resources needed to choose holiness by the power of the Spirit and the Word of God in our lives. So we pursue that which is good and positive and blessing, our best in holiness. To you be all glory in Christ's name we pray. And as people said, amen. amen.